Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pastor Talk podcast. Good to be back with you. Thank you for joining us as we continue to walk through some thoughts on the Enneagram. This is the second of a a two-part podcast on moving toward wholeness. So if you've not listened to the first one, you may want to put this one on hold and pick up last week's. If you've already listened to that, you'll know that what we're doing is by each type going through some practical ideas and trying to move this Enneagram discussion from a kind of philosophical or, or psychological conversation to what are some of the things that we can actually do? What are some of the practices that I can incorporate that will help me move toward wholeness, help me um, push up against some of the borders of, of my own limitations within my type and learn some new things? And if you um, are joining us today, we plan to get through the back half of the Enneagram. So we'll be looking at types five through nine. And uh, Michael, start with type five. Yeah, absolutely. So type fives, you might remember, are those individuals who are known for their observant uh, personality. They're the people for whom collecting all of this data matters. And they try to, uh, at their worst, even hoard it to give them sort of an edge in what is a pretty complicated and scary world. And so it makes sense that for someone whose primary orientation to the world is uh, to be afraid of a threat, that sort of existential threat that's out there, that their movement forward is to the eight. It's that movement forward towards a place of courage and strength and willingness to to put themselves out there even if it's not a comfortable situation. And so that is sort of where we hone in here as we start thinking about things that we can do to lean into wholeness. I think the first thing that you might want to be aware of is where are the moments in your life where that fear is driving your decision making instead of your actual conscious choice. And the tricky thing about this is we've lived our entire life. If you're a five, you've lived your entire life working on mechanisms to surround yourself with safety, a a ways that you can observe from a distance so it doesn't get in you. You've gotten good at separating between thinking and feeling. So that first step might be reflecting on how is it that I actually do feel and why do I feel that way? And um, you can go from that moment of reflection forward towards uh, engaging not only your fears but beginning to take practical actions forward to, um, to work on um, maybe some things you've been afraid of. Yeah, the great irony, I think, for fives is that they can study everything in, in minute detail and sometimes miss the bigger picture. They, they can become so focused on possessing that, that next thing, whatever it is, or, or going a mile deep in that one very small channel that sometimes they don't uh, do a good job of looking beyond themselves. So some, some practical thoughts for a five. If you're a five and you're thinking, I, I'd, I'd like to, to move toward growth, what are some of the things I could incorporate? Consider giving some stuff away. You know, fives have this tendency to want to hoard. It's not that you're a hoarder, it's that fives natural approach to things is to kind of put their arms around it and keep it close to the vest. And so the reverse of that is opening the hands and to give things away. Maybe that's knowledge, maybe that's books. If there's something fairly important to you, but not crucial to your life, and you could bring yourself to offer that to someone, even if they just borrowed it, that's a, that's a big step for a five. And it's a, it's a helpful step. I think it's a good movement for them. Um, the other thing, fives, it's not that you're um, asocial or antisocial. Just fives live a lot of their life in their own thoughts, in their own minds. So a, a helpful exercise for a five might be make a list of people you appreciate. What, what do you admire about them? Who do you consider your inner circle? And contact them with appreciation. Say, you know, I, I just was thinking the other day that you're important to me. You, you've been helpful to me. And I think that can be a good step for a five, Michael. I think another practice that a five might be able to integrate into their life is autobiography, mm. uh, autobiographical writing. The idea of connecting with the whole of your life experience and not just the experience that you've thought through. So you might go back and you might uh, create a journal. You might go and even just write 
reflections on different time periods of your life or maybe significant moments that you would identify in your life and look at them not just from the vantage of what you think about them or what you think you should have done or evaluating them or observing in them for what you could learn, but rather uh, working more on the narrative, more on just describing what do I feel, what happened, what, what was happening in that relationship, what does that mean for me, uh, what questions does it raise up and what places in myself does it suggest that I should go. And as you practice that kind of self-awareness, I think the five is going to find lots of off-ramps into places of potential growth. Maybe that is uh, even like what you're saying, Clint. Maybe that will help you identify one of those things you need to give away. Maybe there's some item that has represented for you something that it's time to let go of. And, and it could help you uncover that. Another thing that you might want to uh, work on as a five is recognizing the limits of being human. In other words, none of us know everything. We don't have all the answers to all the questions. And for someone who um, studying and thinking and observing is of deep value, it's natural then that the fives would just recognize and strive to be people who have all the answers to all the questions. It can be freeing to name for yourself and to intentionally remind yourself I don't have all the answers. Maybe someone else knows this better than I do, or maybe I need to consult someone else's expertise here instead of getting it for myself. I might suggest that if you're a five, instead of you turning to Google all the time, all day long, so you can answer the question yourself, maybe it's better to pick up the phone to call a person, to connect with them, to make sure that they know that uh, they matter to you and that um, you wanna have that relationship. And it also gives you an opportunity to practice being taught and admitting to yourself and to others, you don't have all the answers. Yeah, and then, you know, I think there are some just very practical, these are almost um, simple things that fives can do. Uh, this isn't advice we would probably give very often, but um, uh, fives could sometimes benefit from purchasing something that they like, but that they don't need. It's not a part of the collection. Say it's an article of clothing. You, you pass a store window, you see a shirt that you like. Fives struggle with spontaneity. They need to think things to death before they act on it typically. So letting themselves have a few moments of, of impulse is not a bad thing for a five. Obviously there need to be some limits on that. You have to be careful that you're not going crazy. You don't want to do that in a casino and stuff like that. But for a five, a spur-of-the-moment decision can be a step forward. That can be a helpful way to kind of counteract that natural tendency to dig in and study things to death before you do them. Uh, another thing, a simple thing, fives tend to be pretty cerebral, spend a lot of time in their head, so sometimes they don't take the kind of care of their body that they should. It's not, not that all fives are out of shape or anything like that, but a, but a five doesn't live a very earthy kind of life. So going for walks, joining a gym, taking a yoga class, a five can benefit tremendously from putting some, some attention into their, their physical life and uh, learning to listen to uh, the body outside of simply their thoughts. And, and that can be helpful to a five. And then um, maybe a, another simple thing that would be scary for a lot of fives, not all fives are introverts, but fives tend to be cautious with relationships, introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Do that in a safe place, maybe church, school. But the, the idea of coming up to someone and saying, hey, I'm, I'm Clint, I don't think we've met before, is a little risky for a five, but can be really a good, it can be good practice, good reward with that. You've got to think that with this relationship that five goes to eight, you have someone whose tendency is to sit back, to study, and to think through all of the possible ways a thing could go. The eight, if you're going to simplify it, oversimplify probably, the eight is someone who rushes into a situation, who takes action and then thinks later. And what the five is going to experience as you practice that activeness is this feeling that you're overacting. You're going you're gonna to feel like th that you're being uh, spontaneous 
to the nth degree, that you're being irresponsible will be the way that it will feel. And the point is to, in slow degrees, practice small things like buying that thing or making that phone call or writing that journal, whatever the thing is, practice the thing that is taking action that you will think through maybe later because those small things which are gonna feel huge to you are incremental steps on the journey. Yeah, I think that's well said, Michael. A five tends to enter the water a centimeter at a time. And so offsetting that with the eight's tendency to jump in with both feet before they even looked can be a nice place to find middle ground. You don't wanna become an eight, but to incorporate some of that um, spontaneity, some of that drive and directness can be really helpful for a five. I think another type that maybe finding that middle ground is an interesting balance is coming up right next. It's type six going to type nine. Yeah. Type six, you've got that individual who is honestly living a life that is very much filled with anxiety. This idea that you're surrounded by a dangerous world and you need to choose your cohort carefully. Who are you going to bring with you in the journey? Because those are the people who are going to keep you safe. These people are most uh, often um, determined by the, what they perceive of as fear in, in the world. And so moving to nine, this idea of an inner peace, the nine who lives in the midst of this sort of calm, laid back temperament is the exact thing that a six needs to find. But there's a large distance to travel there from the life experience of a six towards the gift that the nine has to offer. So. What does that movement from instability to stability look like? From distrust to trust, these are the practices that the six should work on. Yeah, and what the nine brings to that conversation is a sort of inherent stability, uh, an inherent rest and peacefulness. Uh, at their best, nines are, are very um, serene, and the six tends to naturally lack some of that. And so th this is a really good partnership and a really good opportunity for sixes to learn some of that, that peacefulness. Peace is not a word or a concept or reality really that comes naturally to a six. So um, there are some things they can do. I, I think for a six, periods of quiet are important. We've talked about that with other types, but regular prayer regular periods of meditation for a six to unplug from some of the what-if scenarios that constantly run through their head or the worst-case scenarios that they might face and to just have some moments of stillness, of, of solitude, to let everything sort of settle. Um, that, that is a great first step for a six and not something they generally do very often or very instinctively. Yeah, and then part of that silence might look like a kind of centering prayer. It might look like the six being willing to name some of those fears. I think the fears in our life tend to get bigger when we try to stuff them away, when we try to just ignore them. They don't sort of just disappear in the darkness of our souls. They actually gain strength in that place. So I think every six would do well to have that moment of silence, to allow this moment of peace. And then in the midst of that, this is going to feel like an, an activity that you're choosing, which isn't peaceful, by the way, to engage that, but simply to name the fear. So you're in your space, you're there, and you say, I recognize I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my job and all of this is going to drop out from underneath me. Well. Name that fear. Say, my fear is that I am living in a life that I can't trust, that's not stable, that's going to fall apart. Lord, I name that that fear is true. And that act unto itself of naming the thing, of calling it for what it is, is submitting it to Christ. And I think that sixes might find uh, especially freeing. Yeah, and I think to add to that, even to evaluate that fear for its um for how realistic it is. I, I'm afraid this might happen. And then out beside that, one through 10, 10 being very likely, one being not very likely. And I think your typical six might find 
that a lot of the fears on their list are going to live on that not very likely side of the scale, which might allow them to step back, to let go of some of them a, a little more easily. The, the other thing that sixes do really well is form allegiances. You know, six is the loyalist. They are the person that's 100% committed to relationships, to organizations. But sometimes the six gets either overcommitted or more typically they use those commitments and connections as a kind of personal security blanket. And so for a six to sit down and reflect on who is it that I give authority in my life? Who do I trust? What do I trust? And, and how did I get there? Did, did I get there through a process of decision-making and reason? Or did I get there emotionally because I was afraid? And a, a six can really benefit from questioning some of the allegiances in their life and evaluating them essentially based on how helpful they are. Right. Another thing that might be helpful, Clint, would be making a list Absolutely. of places where you're stuck. Because ironically, in light of what you're describing, Clint, the six often is going to find themselves in a situation where there's a thing that matters to you, but where you just can't get past the step where you're at right now. You see too many flaws ahead. Well, what if this happens and this happens and that happens? And this, all of these questions of structure, all of these questions of flaws that you can see so clearly keeps you from pursuing the things that matter to you. So evaluate those things honestly and graciously and recognize what is the worst thing that happens if this fails and recognize that you do have agency so do the thing that you are called to do and you can trust that um, Christ is going to go with you as you do that I think one thing that is sometimes helpful there's a, a story about a relatively successful entrepreneur who is taking some significant risks with the company pushing the company to move ahead and the entrepreneur was talking about making that next choice and was afraid that this next choice was going to destroy the foundation, that everything was going to collapse. And so as a practice, for the next month, this individual slept on the floor. They slept next to their bed on the floor and said, I figured the worst case scenario is I end up sleeping on the floor somewhere because the world collapses. And realistically, I realized in a month, it wasn't so bad. I think there's some insight in there for a six that the worst case scenario that you can imagine, which is probably not going to happen, by the way, that that is so far gone that realistically, remember the one who's with you, Christ who promises to be with you, is going to be with you regardless of where you find yourself, even if that's sleeping on the floor. It's going to be okay. Yeah, and so, so two things in regards to that, Michael, I think that the six can benefit from maybe of all the groups from a, a kind of a mantra. Um, sixes, you, you do well to find some scripture that speaks to you. You know, maybe the 23rd Psalm, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the dark valley, which translation you like, I will fear no evil. And, and if you can find something that speaks calm to you, a scriptural passage, a poem, whatever it might be, if you can commit that to memory, and then in those moments that you begin to feel anxious, you have something to combat that. You have something to push that back. I think that can be very helpful for six. The other thing that a lot of sixes can benefit from, and we're in a tough time to hear this advice right now, I understand, but maybe of all the types, media breaks. Just to give the, the talking heads telling you bad news on the computer or the TV, give it a break. Start with a, a day. Maybe start with a half a day if a day is too difficult. But um, sixes, you have to understand that you have a natural tendency to focus on the bad news. And so if, if you can keep yourself from that, if you can say, you know what, I, nothing's going to happen in the world by noon today that I, can, that I can't find out then. Yep. And if you can go forward without some of that and, and give yourself a break because you, you – tend to, um, that, that tends to land harder on you than it does the rest of us. Can I make an addendum there, Clint? Absolutely. I would add, not only that, but sixes should be very wary of social media. And this is why I say that. It's because social media delivers to you the stuff that they think you will want to read. 
And the sixth is temptation is going to be to create social media profiles that just delivers bad news all day long. So stay away from the places that are delivering you the stuff that you're tempted to read. Go to places that are going to give you the stuff that's going to be helpful for you. And so in this current moment, just an example, instead of getting your coronavirus news from Facebook, maybe you should get your coronavirus news from the CDC because they're going to be far more level-headed than the stuff rolling down your Facebook feed. Yeah. And then, and then practically, as we've kind of said for all these types, find the balance, find the type that you move to, maybe spend some time with them. So if you know a nine, if you, if you have in your circle somebody who seems pretty composed all the time, pretty peaceful, if you have somebody who kind of embodies that sense of restfulness, trying to hang out with them, or at least in this time period, get them on the phone, FaceTime, whatever that might be. But spend some time with people who don't help you ramp up, but help you go the other direction. I think then that brings us to type seven. Sevens who go to five, you have this individual who's the outgoing, the one who fills their life full of experiences. The darkness of that is they may be trying to push down some feelings and experiences they've had in the past. And the way that they do that is to thoughtfully create just busyness in their life. And what we have is this person who can go from that place of uh, extreme busyness, extreme activity, to a person who moves to the five, which is composed, thoughtful, even to the point of inactivity at some point. And you can find that the sevens practices are ones that remove them from that continued cyclical move from this thing to the next thing to the next thing to rather slowing down, reflecting, even in moments of silence and reflection, recognizing that there's more going on under the surface than what you are uh, historically been willing to engage. And really any practice that we're about to recommend is a, for the purpose of connecting you to the deeper things underneath the surface. Yeah, I don't know if you'd, if you'd push me on in the corner on this. I don't know if I'd defend it, but it feels to me like sevens are going to, in some ways, be the most threatened by changes to their their practice. And, and what I mean by that, Michael, mm -hmm. is the seven is always about one step of the thing they're trying to run away from. They're, they're, they're constantly trying not to face the thing behind them by jumping to the next thing. And so for a seven to stop and, and pause and reflect is going to be initially, I think, really frightening because it's exactly the opposite of the mechanism they've developed to try and protect themselves. And so slowing down for a seven, reflecting for a seven is, is probably initially going to feel um, even terrifying in some cases. I, I think that's going to be uh, a, a difficult task, but it's one you can clearly see. The move to five here makes total sense. Sevens need to pause to face some of those things that they're trying not to face. They need the, the balance of spending a little time with their feelings, with, uh, with some of those thoughts that are hard for them to process. And they can learn a lot from the fives in order to do that. A lot of the world's sevens are struggling with the slowdown of flights, mm. international flights around the world. For the people who need to be climbing the next mountain, this is a really tough moment. So if you find yourself in your house and you are doing crazy stuff, or cooking food that you've never heard of before and trying to redecorate entire rooms and just you find yourself sort of caught up trying to find a way to keep adding stuff, the, the invitation of this moment in so many ways is to pause. So when we're out of this moment, that may look like you canceling stuff on your calendar, setting aside a day on your calendar that you've got rest. But odds are you've got more time today than you normally have. So in the midst of that, the question is, will you set aside 30 minutes today in which you're going to sit down in a place and maybe that is the only 30 minutes of silence in your day, but yet it's intentional silence. It's as I sit here, I'm willing to practice what you might call contemplative prayer. That may be a thing you want to uh, look up and do a little bit of research on. 
or maybe it's just you sitting there with a pen and paper and every time a new thought comes into your mind, that thought goes on the paper and you're willing to just offload what's in here on here because that gives you an opportunity then to engage with it in a deeper way instead of just pushing on and avoiding it. Yeah, and I'm imagining the hardcore seven out there, Michael, thinking, oh, 30 minutes. I assure you 30 minutes is going to seem like a monumental amount of time for a seven not to do something, for uh, the thought of sitting in a quiet room without activity. Uh, some of you may need to start five minutes with 10 minutes. And I, I imagine them journaling and it starts off, I was thinking about, and then there's a dog picture over here and there's a flower and a sun and down here there's some doodles. Um, sevens, you're going to have to work hard to, to stay on that track. The benefit it offers you is to release some of that fear of whatever you think is lurking in the surface, under the surface. So um, the journaling piece can be really helpful. Um, wh what am I, what am I afraid of? You, you put that on the top of the paper, and that may start off with a kind of casual, oh, you know, this could happen, that can happen. But as you engage in that inner dialogue, sevens, you're probably going to find some things under the surface that begin to rise up, and and by facing them, you really free yourself to take control over your activity rather than it driving you and you can then do some things. Take a thing off your calendar. Look at your calendar and the, the 20 things you thought you were going to do today. Pick two of them that aren't very important and schedule silent time, quiet time in there instead. Um, those are some practical kind of things that a seven could do. I think a seven could get a sticker or a wristband or really anything that is going to be part of your daily life that's gonna remind you to not escape into fantasy, but live in the actual moment where you are. This is especially true in moments of challenge, of difficulty. Maybe it's with your boss at work, maybe it's with a family member, but once emotion starts ramping up, the seven starts to feel that fear that things are gonna get out of control and the temptation is to get away. And if you can't physically get away, then you get away in your mind. And so really any sort of token or physical thing that the seven can hold on to to keep them in the moment can be a powerful tool to remind you, no, I don't need to get away from this moment. I'm safe in this moment. I can trust that Christ is with me in this moment. I have the strength I need for this moment. And engaging in that process will be one in which you can move towards wholeness. Yeah, and the seven always has to be mindful of when they seek to escape into fantasy. So seven, if you're sitting there daydreaming, you know, that, that again is, is your way of trying to avoid something. So trying to be mindful of those times. Sevens can also struggle to finish things. They're great at starting things. Sometimes they lack the energy on the back end of things. And so um, uh, using a time like this to read a book and not, not a magazine, not 10 small books, not, but to undertake a significant reading project, maybe one of the classics, particularly one that um, will take you into some of the, the major themes of life, you know, uh, loss and joy and tragedy and, and triumph. Um, that, that can be, that could be a good uh, a guide. It could be a good guide for a seven. Yet wherever you will be encouraged to engage the reality of life, to not hide from the stuff underneath, and to bravely live into the uh, thoughtful reflection that the fives have is going to be great. And I think we've named this, but let's just make sure that it's said. That really looks like setting aside time, building into that time some practice which encourages you to engage deeper than just the surface stuff right now and to in the midst of that uh, trust Christ to lead you through because like you said Clint about 30 minutes really as you begin this engaging with that fear engaging with that anxiety in just a little bit is going to feel like a lot and so begin that journey slowly 
and you'll grow into it as you go. Yeah, and I think maybe just one last word. Sevens, try to listen to those moments when your emotions speak to you. you know, one experience that many sevens have is that they'll find themselves overwhelmed at something that, that doesn't seem overwhelmed. They'll be watching a movie that isn't sad, and all of a sudden they'll find themselves on the verge of crying, and they'll think, how did I get here? And, and that's the right question. If you're a seven and you're feeling something, th that's exactly the time to ask, how did I get here? And to spend a little time with that instead of escaping it by planning the next thing. So uh, sevens, it's not an easy road, but, it, but it's worth it. We keep making our journey around the Enneagram then. That takes us to type eight. Type Type 8 goes to type 2 as it moves towards wholeness. And the 8 is the challenger, the individual who seeks to uh, rush in, to uh, make action happen, to uh, respond, and to, in, at their very best, uh, be defenders of those who need defended, uh, to uphold justice in a very meaningful way. Of course, the weakness of that for the 8 is that sometimes uh, they are struggle for emotional vulnerability. They struggle to see how they have to trust others along the journey, that they can't be the only one uh, who's leading and contributing. And so really these practices that help the eight really become attuned to their inner life, to recognize the soft spirit, even maybe the inner child who lives within them. Uh, these are practices that will help an eight on their path to wholeness. Yeah, I think the eight does not do the inner life well instinctively. Um, the eight often grows up with this sense of to be strong, have to take care of myself, have to be beyond um, vulnerability, don't show weakness, that kind of idea. And so learning from the two is, of course, a, a wonderful thing for an eight. The idea of nurturing relationships, treasuring relationships, the idea of vulnerability, um, these, these aren't easy concepts for an eight, but they are important and the, the, that relational approach to life is something from which eights can learn a lot. Would you say Clint that it's fair that some eights could benefit greatly from having a partner in the journey who they give explicit permission to to say hey eight you may be overreacting a little bit here. Maybe not even overreacting to the situation. Maybe that's the right response. But you may be at volume 10 when you should be at volume 5. That the interaction I just saw you have there was a little more aggressive than needed to be had because the 8 who doesn't give that permission to others is likely being more aggressive than they think they are. When an 8 says something, they, re they perceive that as just a thing said not as what others perceive as twice the volume of what was intended. Yeah, I think eights are often surprised when people say, you seemed really intense or you seemed upset or you, you, I was a little, uh, a little put off by that or a little even uh, scared by that. I mean, for the eight, I think that's surprising. And so the idea that they give someone permission to say, hey, keep me in check and someone who can tell them, hey, dial it down a little. Um, that's yeah if, if there's someone you can trust to do that and if you, and if you can recognize that tendency in yourself and hear someone tell you now the hard part is the eight is always going to want to push back no I'm not but if if you can learn that you do that and have somebody help you recognize it you can grow from it another thing that the eight needs to work on is to identifying situations that have gray and being willing to live in that gray as opposed to thinking that every situation is a right or wrong. The, the stereotype of the eight is that they shoot first and ask questions later. And it's good for the eight to ask questions before they shoot. And sometimes that takes awareness of what's happening, of what you're feeling, of why am I about to respond in this way? Am I on the right side of this or should I be asking more questions that I'm asking? Or going to the idea of the eight moving to two, are there some relationships that I may be about to damage by the action that I'm taking? And should that inform what I do? Should I maybe not run this person over? Maybe there's another way to solve the problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like the sevens, eights benefit a great deal from reflection, from meditation. They, they'll hate it, but disconnecting from the idea of doing something and reflecting on what was done. Why did I do that? How did I feel while I was doing it? What were the what were the outcomes of doing that? What happened relationally? Um, who do I trust? D these kind of questions just aren't naturally a part of an eight's wheelhouse. And so if they can sit down and, and reflect on those things, it offers them a chance to grow. Uh, the other struggle for an eight, eight you just, uh, just have to learn the hard way. You, you are not always right. The, the eight, you, you can be wrong. And sometimes your way is not the best way. And you may have to tell yourself that a million times before you start to think that it could possibly be true. And uh, you, you will, you'll be better off for doing that. You know, one of the most difficult practices for an eight is going to be engaging with their feeling of vulnerability, or more rightly put, probably, the feeling of invulnerability that you can't show weakness, that you can't put yourself in a position where you might be hurt by others. And the eights healing practice, the choosing what you're going to do, may be to find a trusted friend, partner, a colleague, someone who you can be vulnerable with, and to that person, let them in on what is true for you. That this idea that there was maybe a childhood experience that made you feel exceptionally vulnerable, Maybe it was a key critical turning point in your own life story where you felt like uh, an attack that was coming for you changed everything. Every eight's going to engage that differently. But the key here isn't necessarily what happened. The key is being vulnerable to let someone else in because that forces you to recognize that other people can be trusted and that that is actually a necessary part of responding in real relationships. Once again, the two lives in a world full of relationships. Everyone's connected and needs to help each other. The eight needs to learn that they live as part of that ecosystem of help and support. And the only way to participate in it is to let down the guard and to let other people in. Yeah, I think maybe the only caution I would add to that, Michael, would be that if you're an eight and you had an experience of of your childhood that was fairly good, you, you probably anybody could have that conversation with mm -hmm. you. If you had some rough moments in your childhood, understand that as an eight, your natural tendency has been to lock those things away, to chain that, padlock it, build a fence around it, and never deal with it. And so if you think that there are some real moments in, in your past that are deeply painful, this again, this would be very hard for an eight to hear. That's a conversation that may be best had with a professional therapist, with a counselor, with a pastor, um, because it's likely that there's more there than you recognize. As we talked about, the eights have this kind of tendency to multiply everything by two. That's probably true of a conversation like that. And, and you don't want to drop your deepest darkest stuff on somebody randomly who doesn't know what to do with it. So um, you, you, it, takes, it would take a little self-awareness for an eight to know w when was the right time to involve the right person in that conversation. Um, one way that you might get their eights, journaling. Um, eights generally aren't good at this, but to write down some things, my experiences, things I'm afraid of, things that hurt me, um, my sins, this is a good one for eight, that's a humbling one. Where are the places I fall short? Eights don't admit that very well, so that can be a helpful exercise. And um, what an eight needs to learn and begins to learn in that is that emotion doesn't make you weak. And being strong is not the same as being unfeeling. Eights often learn that lesson that in order to be invulnerable, I need to be unfeeling. And, and what happens is our emotions can become unavailable in those moments for eights. And so uh, beginning to unlearn that is going to be real important. Well, I think that leads us to type nine. 
and we reach the top of the Enneagram circle. And as we make it to the nine, we come to those individuals who generally live in a world that uh, they're striving to make peaceful. They're trying to create peace by making the people around them peaceful. They're trying to sort of create an atmosphere of peace. And so the temptation of the nine then is to be slothful, to really just not have the energy to bring to the world around them because they, they don't have what they need to affect that change on all of the people that surround them. And so there's a little bit of this, this feeling that the nine has that they don't have enough and that, that angers them, that, that builds up within them. And so the movement towards health for the nine is towards three, towards the people who are obsessed with efficiency, but not in a negative way for the nine. The nine just needs to find that they have agency, that they are a person who matters, who's valuable, who should live beyond just making others happy and should have their own thoughts and feelings and goals and that drive should drive them forward. So for the nine, we're really less interested in practices that help you find quiet and peace though those are important and you should protect that in your life, but rather moments that engage the nine in thoughtful recognition of their own personhood, of their own value, and also practices that systemically move them forward. The three's ability to think about efficiencies and systems and uh, doing better is the kind of thing that a nine needs to practice to move them beyond their weaknesses. Yeah, so nine naturally are going to be at best in neutral, at worst in reverse, and and nines just need those moments of motivation where they put it in drive and move forward a little bit um, to be able to act on their own behalf, to be able to um, set some goals and try to accomplish some things. These are not things that come naturally or easily to nines but they can borrow the three's drive, the three's ambition, and it helps them a great deal. So the place to start or one place to start for a nine is simply the question, um, what do I want in my life? What are my goals? And nines have probably not spent much time with that question. Threes have spent a great deal of time with it. Nines maybe have never thought of it. What do I want in my life? And am I on a path to getting, am I getting closer to it? Am I any nearer to it than I was a year ago or two years ago? Or what would a path look like toward where I want to go? And uh, th These aren't things that nines have probably done, but they benefit from doing them. Yeah, another way to look at that, Clint, is how is a nine keeping track of the stuff that you are committed to do? And for some nines, that is writing your to-do list on a piece of paper. For other nines, that's going to be downloading a to-do app on your phone right now and committing that at the beginning of the day, you're going to write down the stuff that matters to you. This is the stuff that I need to do. But here's the temptation of the nine. is to look at that list, throw it away, and say, all right, I'm going to go clean the bed now. And what the nine needs to do is commit to the stuff that matters to you is the stuff you need to do. So. Make a list of stuff wherever you want to do it and then commit to do that list and not the other stuff because that you put the stuff on the list that matters, the other stuff can wait. And I suspect that nines are going to find that more difficult than it sounds. Yeah, you could prioritize that list and then work through it by priority because the, the nine, for whatever reason, is going to want to do the, the least important stuff probably first and it just takes so much energy for them to get to the important stuff. So nines can, can really be helpful with that kind. They can really be helped by that kind of accountability pattern or partner or software, whatever it might be. Um, along with that nines, the other great irony, lots of ironies for nines, but one of them is for people who are not naturally inclined to do things, they struggle to say no. That idea of peacekeeping mm -hmm. and accommodating people, keeping others happy. It is really tough for nines to say no on the fear that they'll disappoint someone or the fear that they just, you know, somebody be unhappy with them. And so nines 
it's okay to say no. And again, maybe that starts on paper. I, I can do five things, and, I, and when those, when I've got one through five, now I'm going to say no to the sixth thing. But uh, a nine can really, I think, Michael, grow by prioritizing tasks and being willing to recognize that they can't do everything so that they'll give their best to the things that matter most. Yep, and I think another thing that a nine could journal and be aware of is what things are you incorporating in your life or are you using in your life to sort of numb your experience? That could be food, that could be television, that could be uh, alcohol, that could really be any number of things. But realistically, the nine's temptation is to put their life in neutral, is to just sort of sit back and to let things go. And I'll tell you, when home isolation and quarantine was proclaimed throughout the land, there was a silent shout of joy from all the nines. There was this moment that said, wait, you're saying I have to stay in my house, in my place of peace and comfort? And I don't want to make light of the situation that we're in, which is serious. But I do want to make clear that being alone in your home or with a limited number of people is not the goal. The, the goal is not to be isolated and to sort of enjoy that peace which has now been afforded in this temporary moment, but rather to recognize that a life that's lived with agency and vitality. In other words, let me say it differently, a life that you've chosen, a life that you've committed to will have conflict. Anybody who's living life that is based on their values and meaning and stuff that really matters to them, they're going to hit bumps along the road. And so nines, the goal is not to create peace, make everybody happy. The goal is for you to become in touch with who you are and then feel the freedom to live that out. And what I'm trying to get to is to say that there's going to be moments where you create not peaceful situations and that means you're doing something right. Yeah, one of the nines in my life said I'd be willing to quarantine all the time if they would let me. You know, that, that withdrawal that the nine is always tempted by. Uh, so nines, you, you sometimes um, will give up your opinion, your voice to others. And so one of the paths of growth for you is then to be honest about your feeling. What, what do I really feel about this? Instead of just naturally adopting the point of view of anyone around you to say, no, is that where I'm at on this issue or this idea or is that, do I agree with that? And, and the idea of confronting somebody with disagreement might be too much at this point, but write it down. Think about it later. Begin to interact with yourself independently of what others think and you can really have an opportunity to grow in that and then, I don't, maybe this is flippant, Michael, but I think, and not the time really for a nine to do much of this, but for a nine, I wonder if they could benefit from just stepping out. You know, the nine's tendency is to blend in. And so putting themselves out there could be a real stretch for a nine. You know, twos do that, or th I'm sorry, threes do that naturally, and a, and a nine can learn from that. But Maybe that's karaoke. Maybe that's being a church liturgist. Maybe it's hosting a small party. But to put themselves in a little bit of a spotlight role, I think can help a nine balance that tendency to fade into the background. Would you say, Clint, that across these two parts in this conversation, a central theme is we're encouraging every number to focus on the stuff that you don't want to focus on, <laughs> really, sure. is to say, uh, bring mindfulness and awareness and thoughtfulness to the actions and to the thoughts that you have, which you have allowed to become that central narrative. And you essentially question them. Ask, if you're a three, to ask, do I need to perform for others? for them to be able to love me. For the nine, um, do I need to give in to everyone else so that I can create peace outside myself? Seven, I need to keep having these experiences so I don't have to 
uh, face this fear that is bigger than what I can handle. The truth is we're inviting each and every number to integrate practices in your life which bring you face to face with, by definition, the stuff that you've been running from the longest and to recognize that Christ is going to meet you in that moment. Yeah, I think for any of us, the path to growth is uphill. It, you know, it's, growth is not easy. Um, and, and by simply doing the things we're already good at, we're unlikely to experience a lot of progress. It, it will take an intentional effort of facing some of those challenges, but that's the opportunity provided to us um, to incorporate some new ways to, to be better, to be more whole, to be more centered, more balanced. And so, yeah, the, the bad news is probably won't be something you want to do. The good news is will be something you need to do and you'll be better off for doing it. So uh, we hope for, for everyone in these last two conversations, there's been something tangible that you take and you think, I, I could work on that. I'd be willing to try that. Um, we will continue some thoughts on the Enneagram next week with some ideas about how the Enneagram can help guide us in some interpersonal relationships and in some other ways. But we want to, again, thank you for listening in. We hope that you're well. Uh, we miss you all. We look forward to being back together. We are grateful for this opportunity to, to join you and be a part of this conversation in the meantime. But be safe, be well, be blessed, and be a blessing. And we will be back again.